This podcast may contain adult themes and triggering topics. Please be kind to yourself if you get triggered by what we discuss. Also, this isn't a substitute for therapy or counseling. Please listen to the appendix at the end for some of our recommendations for resources that will help you find a qualified mental health care provider. Now, we take you to a time in the near future where emotional abuse has been appropriately deemed a crime and the survivors find a home to reclaim their lives and freedom. This is Haven, and these are the stories of the Reclaimers. I'm getting the anxiety. Yeah? I'm broadcasting that much? You've been spending time with the Advocore again, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. You know you're welcome to join at any time. Y'all are good for a fella's ego. Oh, Trip, you're a good fellow. <laughs> I do like working alongside you. I always knew we'd be friends outside of a session. Yeah, me too. You'd share your week in session and I'd think how interesting and fun your life sounded. <laughs> interesting and fun. Interesting and fun. Just that I'm so boring now. My kids, my partner, my work, repeat. I don't find that boring. Hey. Hey, did you bring the... Yep. What's that? It's a picture of me when I worked for our abuser. Come on, where's yours? Right here, impatience. <laughs> oh, Trip, you're so tiny. Hey, I've been 6'3 since I was 18. I'm not talking about how tall you are. I remember that face. That super young first year face. <laughs> hey, Helena, did you bring your picture? Hey, yeah, I brought it. Oh, Helena, I'm, I'm getting the broadcast. Before we get into that, Let's affirm permission. Yes, all of you can read me. I give consent for all of you to read me. I give consent too. I do too. What's the grief about, Helena? I realized that the girl in this picture never knew a moment's peace. She was so busy trying to placate an abuser. I'm sorry, Helena. That, that grief is awful. Is there something else with the grief? Yes. I feel ashamed. Why didn't I protect myself? I got the message so much throughout my time with him that I should have known better. I should have been able to spot him, see the red flags. I, I should have known. Okay, listen. I was going to talk about the delay distract tool today, but is it okay if we talk about the replacement tool instead? Replacement? Why? I found something I wanted to share. Here. Shame and the replacement tool? By Dr. Sidney. Percy? Got that... Who is Dr. Sidney? My mentor from the Campbell Institute. Wow, is that a good memory? Care to focus on that emotional warmth? I could use a good dose of that all the time. Me too. You calm, Wabaness Colossi? No, Andrews, I'm not. I just haven't ever found any of Sidney's papers in the wild before. It's lovely to see their writing used for something like this. I guess you deserve someone that makes you feel that happy after someone that made you doubt yourself the way our abuser did. I don't know that I could ever do anything so wonderful as to deserve someone like Sydney in my life. Dr. Ward Sydney, I'm going to go look up the rest of their papers. This is fantastic information. Thanks for sharing, Trip. Yeah, of course. I was struck by the idea that shame was something that needed to be replaced. I guess it kind of triggered me, too. Triggered? How? I feel a little like the case study in the article. Ashamed of all I did to cope with the abuse. Shame thrives in isolation. That's profound. It's from the article. Look, page three. 
Dr. Sidney explains that survivors are conditioned to feel ashamed, so they isolate. Then they learn that shame and isolation go hand in hand. So the more survivors isolate, the more shame they feel? Yeah. And then there's this terrible feeling that we deserve the shame because we isolate. And then we deserve the isolation because of the shame. The shame must mean we did something wrong. Say that louder, Percy. Sydney said it a lot. Shane tries to tell us that we did something wrong. Wait, there's something about that at the end I wanted you all to hear. Can I read it? Please. Shame is ultimately a protection. That doesn't sound right. No, isn't shame a debilitative emotional state? Yes, Sydney acknowledges that. Here, look at page 29. The outcome of a shame state can be paralyzing and terrifying to young survivors. Right. But here, flip over to page 32, where I was before. Shame uses a false sense of accountability to protect a victim's psyche from having to face the notion of powerlessness. Wow. Yeah. And later in the paragraph, by covering the intense helplessness with a sense of accountability, shame provides a path for the survivor to avoid coping with the pain of the trauma in the moments immediately following instances of abuse. I need to think about that for a minute. Is it suggesting that shame makes us feel like we're responsible? When we're not. Right, but the feeling of responsibility as a coping mechanism is something I understood. I just never saw how shame played a role in that. So Dr. Sidney's not saying shame is good. I think they're saying that shame is useful. Useful? Wow, I always thought of shame as this thing that just made me feel triggered and sad and kept me from feeling confident. Why would shame want us to not feel confident? Because confidence is a difficult feeling to conjure while recovering from abuse. I love how you always have an answer. Oh, I don't. Feeney's research... Can you imagine being lucky enough to study at the Campbell Institute with Jean Zephram, be mentored by someone as wonderful as Dr. Sidney, and then spend a lifetime supported by someone like Dr. Soleil? Oh, Helena, I'm getting the jealousy. And I'm getting the grief underneath it. Helena, I'm witnessing this. I just want you to know I can see you in all this emotion. Thank you. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I think some days it's harder than others to realize I gave the best of my career to someone like our abuser. You didn't know. Didn't I? No, you didn't. I wonder sometimes, though, why didn't I see him for who he was? I pride myself on being a good judge of character. And while I don't have super-powered telepathy, I do have a fairly good range of heightened empathy. You'd think avoiding the deception would have been easy. Helena, you're so used to blaming yourself for all he did. Of course you'd blame yourself for the ways he deceived you. Do all of you do that? More than I'd care to admit. I knew better. I'd had Percy as a therapist before him, for heaven's sake. I knew what good therapy looked like, and then... There he was. He didn't show up with the manipulation, though, Trip. Yes, we all know that about him. He arrived with the lies and love bombs. He lied to all of us about who he was, about what he could do, about all the things he wanted to help us with. Got that, Helena. What's that bundle? He promised to pull down stars for me. Wow. You too, huh? Yeah. What else? What else did he promise in the beginning? That he'd make me famous. His knowledge plus my words. 
I'm sorry, Dana. There's a lot of pain there. Yeah, there is. He promised so much in the beginning. So much. What else? I want to hear what else. Percy? I... He just said that... We could change the world. Well, that's quite a bundle. I don't... I don't want to pry, but is that shame? Yes. You feel ashamed of wanting to change the world? Just... Just that it's clear he knew that was a hot button of mine. Like you shouldn't want to change the world or something? I think it's... about the control. He later used the argument that I didn't want to change the world. I just wanted to control everyone. Oh, Percy. I know that argument. I've heard it, too. A lot of shame for me there, too. I'm sorry he did that to you, Dana. Sydney talks about replacement? Yes. The gist is that we can use replacement to substitute messages of truth in place of the shame. How would that work? Well, I've been playing test subject a bit this week. On your own shame? Yes. What's your shame, if you don't mind my asking? I don't. He love-bombed in the beginning, praising my ability to connect so easily with anyone. Then, at the devalue, he started saying things about how my desire to connect with everyone was inappropriate and selfish. Two qualities I dislike so much. His words made me doubt my own intentions. That's terrible. Yes. Vile and evil. Thanks. So, Dr. Sidney recommended using replacement to find pride and substitute it for shame. For example, I can find pride in my ability to connect. To focus on that, focus on developing this skill and talent. Trust Sydney to use pride. And did it work? The pride? It felt wrong at first. But I used fantasy to imagine my shame as this aged knight. You know, with all the rusty armor. The shame has been protecting me for so long. I love that, trip. Shame as an old warrior? Agreed. It's clever. How did you imagine the pride? I imagined the pride was like a knight errant. An eager version that could help the shame, but ultimately protect me from our abuser's words. Do you still get ruminations? Yep. Even after all these years. Someone will say something and I'll just have a flash of the first moment our abuser said something cruel. And then I can hear the words of his attack. That's why I needed powerful imagery. Something really detailed. The rust of the old shame and the sleek armor of the pride. I'm getting the... Wait, is, is that gratitude? Yeah. The more I envisioned the shame as old, rusty, tired, I realized how grateful I was for all those years it protected me. Shame kept me staying no contact. Shame kept me from seeking him out again. I've never been okay with my shame. I don't know that I could feel gratitude towards it. I get that. I don't think you have to. This was just a reaction I had in, in the moment after reading Dr. Sidney's paper. Excuse me. Of course. Isn't that the urgent flag? Yes. 
I'm going to practice the pride thing. I don't know that I can get to gratitude, but I can work on the pride. Me too. I'm sorry. I need to leave a little early this time. All good. I'll send you this week's materials. Thanks for the brilliant lesson, Professor. Hey, you're welcome. <laughs> See you next week. Dana, this afternoon? Staff meeting? See you then. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> I'm not sure how to begin. May I have your permission to use my empathy while we're together today? Yes, of course. And you really don't have to ask. I mean, I wrote the best practice. I will always ask, every time we're together. All right. I hear the boundary. Thank you. I'm, I'm not trying to be difficult. I understand. I heard your words as trying to put me at ease. I'm getting the discomfort. Would you like to tell me about that? I didn't realize how out of control this would make me feel. Being <clears throat> the survivor? Having an advo who isn't Feeny. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. I think it's that I can read Feeny, so... I trust him. That's certainly understandable. I was reading in the Haven Handbook last night about bonding. Would you tell me about bonding? Um, well, paraphrasing the author, bonding is an important source of strength for the survivor. I was reading about that source of strength. Here, let me read it to you. <laughs> I, I know what it says. You know what you wrote, but what the survivor hears... May I read it to you? Yes. The survivor needs healthy, authentic replacements to the bonds of intimacy that were violated by the abuser. A trusted advocate can be a springboard example of bonding by minding best practices, protecting boundaries, and honoring the line of consent. Intimacy. That's a good word. It's what the research bears out. I wasn't romantically attached to my abuser. You know that, right? I don't read intimacy as a strictly romantic notion, do you? No. All right. Then that reassurance? What do you think that's about? Well, my abuser tried to imply, imply almost constantly that my connection to him was... I spent years deflecting thoughts from classmates. They thought I slept my way into his good graces and then regretted it. So I broke it off by accusing him of misconduct. Deflecting thoughts? Are you worried I shouldn't have been reading them? I wasn't trying to read them. They broadcast it. Loudly. I wasn't accusing you of anything. I just hadn't thought of that as a dimension of the abuse you suffered. Having to read what others thought about you after you were discarded. Being forced to get their projections during the smear campaign? Oh, it's okay. <laughs> I'm used to it. Used to what? You're asking me that because you want me to specify, not because you don't know. Good. So you can read me. You broadcast that. Yes, I did. I wanted to make sure you could read me. Why? I wanted to demonstrate that I trust you to read me. You trust me? Yes. Implicitly. Without reservation. Oh. I'm sensing grief and fear. I'm not sure what I'm feeling. 
Let's start with what the feelings are about, then. Okay. Yes. It's grief. I haven't really felt worthy of trust. Since? Since. Who was the last person that trusted you, Persephone? Well, my survivors. I meant personally. Who in your personal life trusts you? Gramsci. Will you tell me about the emotions surrounding that? You really have done your reading about the best practices. I'm impressed. Thank you. And back to the emotion? Shame. I feel ashamed when I tell you that. How long has it been since you've seen your grandmother? She died when I was 16. That loss still cuts deep. Yeah. I'm sorry for that loss. I've resolved a lot of the grief surrounding all that. So the shame and the grief are related to the different parts of her death, or...? The grief is about losing her. The shame is that I've never known anyone since her that trusted me the way she did. What made it so different? She didn't doubt my telepathy, or my intention. She welcomed the telepathy because she trusted my intention. You get tears in your eyes when you talk about that? Yeah. A bit. Sounds like people don't welcome your telepathy. Yes, and that's what I was trying to say. Yes. Mm, that grief. I'm so sorry for all of the ways you felt isolated because of this. It's okay. Is it? You said you felt shame. Perhaps I blamed myself for that lack of trust from people. After Gramsci died, I became a ward of the state. Feeney's notes about this are vague. What happens when you're a ward of the state? I was granted my independence at 16. So I lived in a group home. And then I got the Joseph Campbell internship, and that opened a bunch of doors. I wanted to get out of the group home as fast as possible. Why? Uh, no one abused me or anything. The guardians kept boundaries. Trauma doesn't always come from abuse, Dr. Colossi. <laughs> Doctor. Trying to remind me that I'm capable? Yes, without any pretense. You're a doctor of psychology. You have advanced degrees from two Ivy League institutions. You know this on a rational level. Yes, I do. What are other causes for trauma? Neglect. Yes. They weren't trying to ignore me. You were just so high-functioning that Mother Jackson said in her final report, Well, you tell me. She said she gave it to you. Did you talk with her? No, she wasn't available. But I did get your case file. Ah. Does Feeney know any of this history? He knows about Gramsci. I've never really talked about the group home, though. Does Addie know? She knows it was a difficult time. What are you getting at? Why don't you read me and tell me? You'd be okay with me reading you? Ah, I like that. Let's do that every session, okay? I'll ask you if I can use my empathy, and you ask me if you can read me. Deal? Um... I'm getting that pain. You really do trust me. You're broadcasting it so strongly and... I've pursued as much of your life story as I can through case files. And on paper, you're quite the intimidating case. Dazzling accomplishments. Unheard of experience. The matrix of skill sets you've had to cultivate to build the infrastructure and change you've created. It's astonishing. I'm not sure what to say. It's not a compliment, Percy. It's fact. And this is why you trust me? No. The person in those case files and biographies and the person who has successfully led the haven to where it is now 
That person is certainly someone I've always wanted to meet. But she's the on-paper person. The case files and Senate recordings, even your own notes, they're all clinical. They're supposed to be. Yes, they are. I'm going to pull this one up, but I want to listen to what was said instead of just reading it, okay? Okay. Who designed this holistic system of support? Dr. Colossi. (sighs) This is all thanks to you? Uh, She's about to deny that, but Meg, it really is thanks to Dr. Colossi. Without her stubborn and inspiring courage, none of us would be here right now. (laughs) Now who's squirming? Well played, Dr. Soleil. That was your post-inquiry interview with Meg. Yes. And Feeney said this was all thanks to you. He's not taking enough credit for all he did. He's not talking about what you did, Percy. He's not talking about lobbying or writing. He's not? No. He's talking about something that made him very grateful. Something he loves about you. Something he trusts more than he can articulate. You think he trusts me? I know he does. I've sat with that trust. I felt it in waves. More than trust, he relies on you for this very important quality that isn't found on paper. I lied to him for so long. Yes, you did. And we're going to do a lot of work surrounding the lies. And I want to stay focused. I don't want to tell you. I want you to read me. Read what I'm thinking. You tell me. I don't want to. We both know that's not true. You're dying to read me. What's stopping you? I I can't. I, I, I feel ashamed of my telepathy. Why? Because look at all it's done. If I wasn't a telepath, my abuser wouldn't have been so interested in me. I never would have killed those people. Feeney would have had a quiet, happy life. And I wouldn't have had to lie to him and... And what? And lose him. Lose him? It hurt him. All this time, all the lies... He's hurt. And now he's not my advo anymore, and he he feels lost to me. It's not the same. Something broke when I told him everything, and it's still broken, and he's still lost. And I, I feel like a child saying this, but it's all my fault. If I wasn't such a show off, maybe my abuser wouldn't have noticed me, and maybe I would. Maybe a. Would you like a hug, Percy? Oh, um... I'm getting some residual shame there. Is that about hugs? Oh, that. Yes, that. Would you like to tell me about that? You know, when I can feel a survivor pull away in session, I worry they're about to say something like, I can't talk about that. I know why they say it. And I've never had a stronger urge to say it myself. Let's start there, then. Why don't you want to talk about that shame? The clinical answer is that I don't feel worthy of resolving the shame, and I'm terrified of freely accepting affection as a result. While I love your clinical skills, I also want to hear it from you, from the person who suffered the abuse, from the person who is trying to recover from the isolation you've experienced. I don't feel like I deserve hugs until I've proven that I'm not going to make any more stupid mistakes. Stupid mistakes. Yeah. Like? Reading Kari past the line of consent. Lying to Feeney. Giving my logins to Sonia. Not seeing through Ben's deceptions. Careless mistakes? Careful their day. 
You're getting mighty close to some volatile stuff. Sure you want to do that in a first session? I'm never sure of anything that happens in session. I'm only ever sure of going at your pace. Careless is kind of advanced. All the mistakes you just brought up were things your abuser introduced and revealed to the public during the inquiry. So? So it's important to see that he conditioned you to use the word careless to punish yourself. And that he used the inquiry to reinforce that conditioning. Maybe. What's the anxiety about? I'm getting that. What if the only things I feel remorse about are the things he made public? Ah, the age-old am I the abuser. And sometimes I'm, I'm startled by that pain. I worry that he was right, that I'm another abuser, posing as a victim in my head. Are you an abuser? <laughs> You're asking me? Well, you said that it's happening in your head. Clinically, I don't believe that I'm an abuser. And outside the clinical? I doubt myself. And who put that doubt there? Did your abuser put that there? Sort of. But maybe it's not an entirely bad thing. How so? Perhaps it keeps me from using my telepathy to exploit others. At what cost, though? You have a principled, moral center that's clear from the justice reform. Who put the doubt there, Persephone? Me. I did. Would you like to... To convince myself that I was the untrustworthy one so that I could stay in contact with my abuser. That's the clinical response, Dr. Colossi. It's the reason. I can't help that it's clinical. It's one dimension of the reason I'm not letting this go. You wouldn't. If a survivor tried to bullshit you like this, you absolutely wouldn't let them. It sounds better when I say it like a grown-up. Say it how it needs to be said. I didn't want him to go. If it was my fault, if I doubted myself, then maybe he was right and I didn't have to let him go. I could be the good girl and keep him. See, what am I, seven years old? Are you? Don't do the internal mapping with me. I know that stuff. Inner child of the mapping, I've tried it. With an experienced practitioner? Well, no. I'm not here to turn you into a little girl, Percy. I'm here to help you see that you were wounded. You were abandoned by your parents, left to a neighbor who adopted you. She died. Your foster parents were vaguely aware of you. And when you graduated, they sent you off without a second glance. Your abuser manipulated this terror of abandonment and then abandoned you repeatedly. And recently... What do you know about that? When he was removed from the hearing room, I was watching your face. What were you feeling? Relief. That's what you told the press. That's what you told Feeney. And I've watched that video many times since I became your advocate. I'm advocate... I'm advocating for you now, Percy. I'm advocating for you to yourself. What else were you feeling? Anger. And? Grief. I felt grief. I felt grief and sadness and... And? There was more. In the chaos of the room... Everyone was focused on him, on restoring order, and then on getting you to tell the world what he'd done. He needed to be stopped. I had to stay focused. You don't have to stay focused here. It's just you and your advocate. 
I believe in you, Persephone. I trust you. And I saw something on your face in that courtroom. I think that's what I'm struggling with most. Is that you were even looking. I learned how to look for these things from the handbook you helped write. This is what you would do for a survivor, isn't it? Yes, of course. (laughs) Helping them see their reactions helps them separate their identity from their abuser. Right. I suspect that your struggle is about your worthiness to be seen. Would you agree? It's... Yes. I'd agree. That's why I want you to read what I'm thinking. You mentioned earlier that you'd be okay with me reading you, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. Let's make a list of the people in your life who feel comfortable with your telepathy. Okay, I get what it is you're trying to do. Who are the people who feel comfortable with your telepathy? Gramsci. And she's not here anymore. Yeah. It wasn't just that she took you in and adopted you, is it? No. She loved that I was a telepath. It made her feel safe. She thought what she said, and she said what she thought. And you loved her for it? Because I could love her for it. She let me love her. Reading people is loving them? I never thought of it that way, but sort of. It's more that I can protect them. So let's map this. You read people to protect them, to show that you care. But when you read them, they distrust you. This causes a distance, and you feel like the love you have to offer is then rejected. (laughs) Except I made it even more fun. I feel like they're rejecting me, not just how I love them. Your telepathy is a part of you. How you love people is also a part of you. It makes perfect sense that you would feel rejected when those you love distance themselves from your gift and from your protection. You really think that? Why do you think I wanted you to read it? (laughs) Okay. I want you to build up your confidence regarding your gift by offering you a healthy, authentic replacement. You're using the tools. Yes, Dr. Colossi, I'm using the tools. (laughs) Are you trying to condition me by using my title? You tell me. Read me. I have your permission. I give you permission to read me while we're in this session. Okay. You're using my title because you want to both remind me of all I've done for the psychology community and remind me that my research and work can have application to my own healing. Yes. What else? You were sad when you saw me in the inquiry. You saw my devastation and you wanted me to know that others have felt that way. Felt that way? Abandoned. You recognized that I would miss him. That I would miss the space he took up in my head that I would miss the attachment I felt to him. Narcissists manipulate our need for connection. They manipulate our attachment to them, and they manipulate our attachment to ourselves. You're quoting me to me again. That quote was from a very obscure paper. Where did you get it? Topher forwarded what he had. (laughs) And I was granted access to your abuser's notes on your case. You were? Yes. Would you like access? I, I I don't know why that makes me so emotional. I'm getting the sadness and fear. 
Would you like to tell me about it? I feel like I should be done with this. He was convicted and assigned. What more do I want? What more indeed. Do you want the access? They're your files. But it's his view of me. Yes. Yes, it it is. Everything he wrote is his opinion, which means it's not fact. And he probably wasn't fair. He wasn't. Percy, his notes are brutal. He was so cruel to you. I'm astonished by the level of cruelty. You deserve to know that his cruelty and manipulations were obvious, even in his case notes. His manipulations? You saw those in what he wrote? Yes. His manipulations are clear, and yes, I saw the notes. I'm dying to ask. Ask it. Sound like a child again. I think you know how I'm going to respond to that. Read me. You want me to feel comfortable expressing my thoughts because it's the best way for me to recover my sense of self. And? And I deserve to be heard. Heard, seen, trusted, understood. Loved. Loved for who you are, not what you can do for someone. Not for what justice system you can reform. Not for what brilliant curriculum you can write. Not for what kind of friend you can be. You deserve to be loved, Persephone, for who you are. Not sure how to react to that. No reaction needed. It's okay to just hear it. What did you want to ask about his case notes? Oh. Did he ever indicate that he felt any affection for me whatsoever? Or that he... I mean, did he respect my work, even? No. He never said anything like that. Oh. And? Read me. You're certain that's his problem. Not because I was deficient in my ability to show love. You wish that you could show me just how obvious it is that I'm worthy of love and trust, and you want more than anything to show me that it's okay to still want his approval, even after his cruelty. That suffering he caused you? The years of thought broadcasts, his actions that made you question if he was going to try to hoover you, the times you were terrified that he'd try to attack Feeney, that's something to honor. And you wishing he had reacted differently doesn't mean that you deserve any less support now that he's gone. What do you tell your survivors when they crave their abuser's approval or affection? I tell them it means they're capable of loving that it's a sign they can see the best in someone, even after all they've been through. So what will you tell yourself about those cravings now? I'll tell myself that I deserved to be seen and heard and trusted. He was cruel, Persephone, and he was wrong about you. I see the truth, and we're going to build to you seeing that truth too. 
Before we end today, I want you to list the tools we used and how we used them. We used Map It Backwards, starting with my abuser's most recent discard instead of going back to the beginning. We used Replacement with you providing safety to help me rebuild touch points of my own identity. And we used Knowledge. You helped me see that my experiences deserve to be honored. Good. Here's your homework. Feeny never gave me homework. <laughs> Feeny is truly dreamy. <laughs> and you're not. Nope. I'm the hard ass you need, Dr. Colossi, and I'm holding you to this homework. You've got work to do, and you've waited a long time to start this healing. Okay. I'll take it. Good call. I read the research you and Dr. Soleil did about survivors and abandonment issues. I want you to reread that research, and let's talk about emotions that come up as you do. My emotions? Yes. Not evaluation. Not clinical stance. Not theoretical diagnosis for a hypothetical survivor. <laughs> I want you to practice feeling. Practice feeling. Feeney's notes are repetitive with how often you shame yourself for feeling things. It's time we start to break that shame down. Okay. I'll practice. <laughs> One final thought? <laughs> Tying a nice little bow of affection <laughs> at the end of the session so we can bond. I know you haven't bonded with me yet, and that's good. It's important that you do that on your own time. We go at your pace. I know I'm a pain in the ass. I'm not going to address that right now. <laughs> <laughs> the final thought is a question that's just for you. I don't have to hear the answer if you don't want to share. What's the question? If you never had to reveal your deepest desires to anyone, even Feeney, how would you grieve the loss of your abuser? Not pulling any punches today, are we? Truth is a powerful healer. I see. Is it bad that I actually want to share the answer with you? I'd be honored to hear it. I feel like I lost a father then I'd like you to do some research about grieving a parent. And again, I don't want a list of rituals or clinical evaluations. The goal is to witness and allow your emotions. All right. I need to ask you something I never thought I'd ask. Ask. I can call you, right? For extra sessions? There's several questions in that one. The biggest is, will I keep my boundary so you can rely on me? And yes, I will. I'll say no if schedule doesn't permit. The other answer is yes, it's okay to lean on me, to ask for more time, to need me even. That's part of replacement and the bonding we're aiming for. You deserve to have the healthy attachment you've craved, Persephone. Thank you. I don't know what to say beyond that. Read me. You're proud of me. Yes. Now turn that into a mantra. My advocate is proud of me. And I'm working on accepting that pride. Good. Solid work. See you soon, Percy. Thanks, Nina. It's my honor, Dr. Colossi. Oh, that's wonderful news. I was hoping Hattie would be up for the challenge. 
Uh, how about Luis? I haven't had a chance to review the progress reports while I was on mission. There seemed to be a lot uh, that came in, though. Is that a good sign? Yes and no. Yes, in that there's been breakthroughs, but... But... His breakthroughs are coming at a high cost. What's the cost? He's blaming himself. And with his age, he's not able to counter that blame. With an adult, we typically use the more sophisticated tools. Well, I hadn't thought about that. You're right about his empathetic little heart. Even as all the advos are guiding him to the truth, his responses are heartbreaking. For example, when asked if he'd like to play outside, he says, Daddy doesn't like to play outside. And when we tried to break that down, that he could enjoy playing outside even if his abuser didn't, that was too confusing for him to accept. Golly, that's awful. I think the one that hit both Feeney and me hardest was when Luis said he shouldn't like the reflection in the mirror. What? It took them three times asking the question because they thought they weren't understanding the translator, but no, they heard him perfectly. His abuser... His abuser told him that he shouldn't like what he saw in the mirror. Wait, that he shouldn't like looking in the mirror? No. He specified that it was the reflection in the mirror that should be disliked. And worse, he believes it. Because his father said it, Luis now thinks that not liking himself, that's what he needs to do in order to be loved. Oh, Luis, that is horrible. Worse, it's inescapable. Bodies heal, and with kids Luis's age, we can usually point to physical wounds or bruises clearing up and help them understand. But with Luis, his father never laid a hand on him. So the abuse, it was always invisible. No one could see what was happening behind closed doors. That is, that is gut-wrenching. Uh, I agree. Oh, and it, it makes me want to just... Say it. It's not worth engaging in. How much of that bundle has to do with your own father? Persephone. Not cool. I could give you two a minute if you need it. No, we're good. I'm not pushing, Feeney. I'm inviting. But I've been hearing all those thoughts about Luis's father. Oh, have you? Yep. And I'm sorry, old friend. I'm sorry that I wasn't there for you like you needed me to be. I'm sorry that I got angry and distant when you needed me most. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's fine. It's in the past. And kids forgive their parents, right? Nonsense. What? That is complete and total nonsense. Kids can forgive their parents, but when that parent chooses to be abusive, forgiveness shouldn't be the focus then. It's a matter of safety, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual safety. Thank you. Cool your heels for just a second there, Percy. I know you're warm about it, but let him breathe. I don't want to fight right now. I'm not really up to facing that down. We go at your pace, Phoenix. What if we get back to talking about Luis? Fine. Percy, we good? Yeah, you're right. I shouldn't have pushed. I'm sorry, Feeney. No, don't apologize. I just... Let's talk about Luis. Why don't you tell me about your possible treatment plans for someone with his stage of cognitive development? Well, the Haven standard is to offer him tons of narrative play and strengths-based therapy really dig into the fantasy tool, and then start to introduce elements of Sort It Out. All right, that's, that's a good plan. And can I ask you questions about parental neglect? You're in a place you can address that. Clinically, yes. All right. Tell me about what Luis is going through. 
Well, he's uh, experienced identity-level betrayals from his father, his only familial attachment. His father manipulated that attachment, enforcing emotional, mental, and spiritual conformity to rules that continue to harm the survivor's development. Luis is going to need repeated reassurance of his safety. He needs to be given opportunities to learn and then show that he's separate from those around him. He believes right now that everyone else's emotions are his. Codependent enmeshment is a risk, and even more so enforced self-isolation. He'll isolate himself from the very things he needs in order to heal. Why is that, Beanie? Because sustained parental neglect can be more difficult to overcome than any other type of abuse. What makes you say that? At its core, it's a violation of identity. The parent's refusal to connect will make the child question their own worth. Why is that? Luis just wants his father to pay attention to him. What else does Luis want? He, he wants his father to be affected by him. Luis wants his father to see him, to really see him. What else, Feeney? He just wants his father to love him. And he should want that. He deserves to have that. Whose fault is it that he doesn't have that? It's his father's fault. His father is responsible. Can I ask a tough question now? You can ask it. I don't know if I'll answer. Phoenix, who is at fault for the neglect you experienced as a child? It's all right. You don't have to. The abuser. The father. The abuser. Old friend. It's his fault. Yes, Feeney. It is his fault. I, I don't know what to do with this. I, I don't even know why this is coming up right now. Luis has a powerfully sad story. Anyone who knows anything about the pain that boy's been through, of course you'd have a reaction. I, I feel like I'm handling this wrong. Pesky trauma bonds. So then, in my best impression of Dr. B-Boss over there... <laughs> hey, how'd you know about that? Oh, something Superman told me. Oh, ah. But in the name of supporting you, Feeney, how do we show you we're here for you while you're fighting what's in the mirror? Uh, good question. I won't always be able to talk through things, but I need to hear the truth, so... I need you to say things like that. Like what? What you said about that uh, nonsense. I, I need the truth. From both of us? Because I don't think my pushing is really helping. Well, maybe. I, I can't really put my finger on why, but I just feel so raw lately. Raw? I, I can't describe it. And I wish I could figure out why, but yeah, raw. Raw. I'm sorry to hear that, Feeney. Percy and I, we've got you. Thanks. You want me to transcribe what you said so you can give it to Luis's team? No, no, no need. Haven Security Council requires immediate monitoring when senior staff have elevated heart rates, so the recorder's switched on. I'll crop it and send the playback. It's probably something Jeanette already developed, but knowing her, she'll be glad to get any further info. Feeney... What you did just now, confronting all that, that was brave. Uh, topic change? Percy, are you all right? I'm... I just need to keep track of him. I think you keep track of each other. Most days, anyway. When we can't, 
It's sure nice to have backup. Biscuits and gravy? Always. Mm-hmm. Thank you. The gratitude is mine. Hey, it's Percy and Feeney here. What you've just heard is a work of fiction, but we know that many listeners are living in a world of pain that isn't fictional at all. At the end of every episode, we're going to include an appendix of sorts. Some things we hope will serve those who live with a reality of fear and pain every day. First, we want to let you know about our website, www.empowering.tools, where we keep an ongoing list of books, websites, hotlines, and many other resources for victims and survivors of toxic relationships. Second, we love to hear from you. If you'd like to share your story with us or let us know how the episode impacted you, we'd love for you to reach out. These are deeply emotional things and we want to give you a chance to share. We're a small team, so an in-depth response isn't always possible, but we do read every message we receive. Third, if you're in crisis or you need to find an immediate way out, please call 800-799-7233 for the National Domestic Abuse Hotline. If your abuser is a parent or a non-romantic relationship, there are other resources we've listed on the website that are just for you. A reminder, emotional violence is still violence. You don't need to have bruises on your body to deserve help, and it's okay to feel what you're feeling when you call. Fourth, be safe. For some, getting out will take planning and time. If you know you need help, do what you need in order to safely get away. Lastly, we know how difficult it can be to believe there's hope on the other side of a toxic relationship. Many on our team know the devastatingly difficult steps it takes to get away from an abusive predator. But there is hope. You don't have to do it alone. If you don't have supportive family or friends, you can still find support at the hotlines we mentioned earlier or at a local hospital or shelter. Thousands of survivors have made it out. Getting out and reclaiming your freedom can be your story. We believe in you. We believe in your future. And And we we believe believe in your right to that freedom. freedom.